Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. I thought it'd be great to begin 2014 by chatting with three folks who are all very passionate about bowling and come at things from a little bit of a different perspective. So joining us first is Jeff Riggles. Jeff is a Storm staff member since 1996, member of the USBC Hall of Fame back in 2011, and also has five Eagles to his credit. Also joining us today on the show is Mike Shady. Mike is a member of the Ebonite Pro Advisory staff and a USBC Silver Certified Coach and last but certainly not least is Chuck Gardner. Chuck is a PBA Tour Rep for Brunswick Bowling. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all for taking some time to join me today. I'd be with you, Tim. Well, great. So I thought we would do this, do this in a two-part interview where we begin the interview talking a little bit about the biggest stories of 2013, a little bit about some highlights. So I guess my first question is going to be to you, Jeff. As a journalist for over now 30 years, what do you see as one of the, the biggest stories of 2013? Well, I don't think for interest of all fans out there and, and bowlers, I think the problems with the PBA just are, are dominant over, over anything else. Um, I mean, there's other big stories, but the, the one that I think would concern and impact the most bowlers and fans, like I said, is, is the problems with the PBA. That's, that's just dominant. I think, to me, the most intriguing story is the visible oil for what it could mean going down the line, but that's a lot more of a hypothetical, and I just think everything going on with the PBA is just... Uh, at the forefront of everybody in it in a sad way. Well, Chuck, what do you think? You were out there following the guys. Did the visible oil, was it as big of a deal for you guys as it was for us that were watching at home? Well, I mean, from a, from a learning tool uh, standpoint, I think, it's very, I think it's very important. I think it's very cool. Uh, for us as players or, or coaching or looking at ball motion, it really didn't make any difference because we don't really look at where the oil gets taken off the lane, uh, your adjustments are made based on on ball motion and ball shape and things that you've always done. And that was the one thing that I talked to all the guys on uh, our staff about uh, before the TV shows even happened, about being very careful and not trying to read ball reaction from the die or anything like that. Try and read ball reaction like we always do. Uh, make your moves like you always do and base it on your bowling knowledge and, and everything you learned all your years, and don't try and read more into that than it is. So what about the people that say this is just another gimmick of the PBA? Uh, I don't think it's a gimmick at all. 
I think it's something that is uh, that's very important for people to be able to see what happens to a lane, the transition that goes on. I think it's really important for educational purposes. I don't, and I don't think the PBA ever even looked at it as uh, some sort of a gimmick. I think it's just something that's been talked about for years and years and years. I want to follow up there because Shade said something real important to me that I hadn't thought of when we were talking about the Blue Oil about its coaching applications. And you you hit it, Chuck, but, you know, Shade is one of the premier coaches out there, and he made me think of it in a different way. And now I want to make sure everyone understands my points never changed. This is far from perfected. I know it has some problems, but it has great potential if it can be perfected. Shade, talk about what you, some of the things you thought about with the coaching. I thought they were fascinating. Well, the, the thing I like about the the potential to dye to oil is, you know, being a teacher uh, as my profession, it, the majority of people today, and it's well over 90% with all the research, are visual learners. And when you can put something on on the lane where you can visually see uh, the environment, you can see transitions, uh, that, that not only helps the existing audience or the existing players, but it, it really brings in an entire... Uh, perspective to the players we've never really uh, had a chance to educate and now you've got a you've got you've got a bunch of different uh, um, if, if you will audiences that you can you can market to you've got you know being a coach I've got players now I can actually educate when I do lane play and and uh, instead of talking uh, just theory based and being a visual learner instead of a feel or an auditory or some of those other learning styles um, boy, that's a that's a huge advantage. Now I can also, uh, on the PBA or the industry uh, point of view, I can go to a sponsor who has no idea on the educational side of the sport, and really start. They can start seeing the challenges that some of these athletes in our sport go through with different environments. Uh, and we we all use uh, the analogies with golf, but this is a great analogy. Uh, you you can now see the boundaries. Now we're not there yet. I'm just talking about the potential. The the, the dyed oil and, and the environment we're playing on. But um, as Jeff said, as a, as a coaching point of view, and I got, I got young players or competitive players, and in the future if I can use that, that variable and start teaching lane play and, and uh, how to transition and bring an arsenal uh, bowling ball pieces into it and, um, and start adding tools to a bowler's game, that's, uh, it's really unlimited. I agree 100%. 100%. I think... I think there's all kinds of potential of ways to utilize this as a as a tool, um, and and I think that going back to my point with the players, the tour players at their level, I think it was important that they didn't because they'd never seen it before that they didn't try and read too much into it, you know, when they're competing for PBA titles and things like that when they'd never seen it before. But as far as it being a great tool and something that down the road that um, could be absolutely uh, instrumental in teaching younger people and teaching aspiring uh, higher level or even middle of the road level uh, bowlers how do how lanes transition what happens what goes on it's just it's just limitless I agree with you a thousand percent was there any thought to using this during the week so that the first time the players are seeing it wasn't on the TV pair no, I don't think so um, I, I think. I think that the important thing that the PBA wanted, the message they wanted to make sure they got across, I believe, and I'm not trying to speak for the PBA, is that this is a tool 
in their mind for their spectators and for the fans to see what happens, not so much as a as a tool for the players to to try and um, use as an advantage or a disadvantage or whatever during competition. Um, I think I think they want to be. I would say they want to be very careful about trying to utilize that because, as all of us that are on this call know, one of the biggest cop outs that a bowler uses is that a player that's on staff with the company has this huge unfair advantage over all the other players in bowling. Uh, when it comes right down to it, whether they're on staff with the company or they're not on staff with the company, it seems kind of interesting that the best players always seem to be near the top. And uh, I, I look at that as sort of an excuse deal, and I, I think that at the end of the day, the PBA doesn't want to add things into that equation um, as just my thoughts on it, but I, they never really spoke of that or talked about it. Um, but that's my understanding. When I talked to Tom Clark, he was, was pretty clear and, and he made these statements himself on Facebook and that sort of thing and other interviews that this was about just a demonstration and just showing it and showing it at South Point during the tournament. You're not reaching, you know, you're reaching however many people are in that bowling center. The demonstration on ESPN reaches, you know, half a million to a million, depending on what the particular rating it was on a day. Right. Okay, guys, sticking with the PBA, with the PBA League series starting to kick back up here in January, do the guys on tour, Chuck, do, do your guys take that serious? Or is it, you, you see them, they were doing this stuff on the ESPN telecasts, and you see, you know, you see the guys kind of joking around and, and making fun and light and having fun and ribbing each other. Do they take it serious though when when there's actual cash on the line or is it all kind of in jest? Oh no, I, I think I think they take it very serious. Um, if you if you watch the shows last year, there was some there was some trash talking, some intensity. Um, I think I think it's really important uh, to them to. I, I think the PBA guys are they're competitors, and uh, you know they're professional athletes. They they. Show me a professional athlete that's okay with losing. I'll show you a good loser. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think they ever want to lose. Uh, the, the one thing that that I think is really important is, you know, when you look at the the T.O. thing and the things that happened with that T.O. deal, I think they were very uh, relaxed and having fun with it. But at the end of the day, they still wanted to do well when it was their turn to bowl. And uh, I think it was a big deal that uh, that – for Belmo that he won, he wanted to win. And, uh, and uh, of course, you know, there was other guys that certainly didn't want him to win. So um, I, I think, and I, I just think they're competitors. And uh, they took this, this draft really serious and this free agency and trying to get on teams that they thought were the best fit for them to win. Um, and I, I just, I think that there, there's going to be some good bowling happen. Um, the format's obviously changed a lot. It's going to be different, um, but it's still. Uh, I still think there's going to be some great bowling and, and some real competitiveness. I think the only thing I would add to that is I agree with everything Chuck said, and he obviously knows the players on a daily basis way more than I do. But team bowling, to me, you want to win more or perform better yourself because you don't want to be the guy letting down four other guys. And they're going to be out there bowling for some, you know, for, for their pride and, and to hold the other guy up. And, you know, I've got one of my teammates on here, and I, I know that 
three of the hardest games I bowl every year as a team event at the Open Championships, trying to make sure I'm not the guy that lets everyone down. Yeah, I agree with Jeff, and uh, I agree with Chuck as well, that team bowling is nobody's out there going through the motions. Um, it, it's, uh, it's no different than uh, any other team sport that uh, those guys are prepared before they get out there. Um, none of those guys want to let each other down, and they want to bowl at the highest level possible. So I think it's great for the sport. Um, I'd like to see uh, uh, some rivalries develop over the next year or so, just like other sports. Uh, so there's, there's more emotion on TV, and I think that'd be a, a, a positive for the spectators to watch. Chuck, the next thing I want to run by you, since you, aside from your responsibilities with Brunswick, you also own, with your wife, three pro shops down in South Carolina. So one of the things I want to address with you and then, then the other guys as well is what what can be done to attract young people into working in our sport? And let's specifically say in that pro shop industry, taking a look at your website, you have a pretty young crew compared to what you see a lot of times when you walk into a pro shop in any town USA. So what can be done for the industry as a whole to attract that younger person into the pro shop? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a really, that's a hard question and it's, and it's a hard feat. And I think my, my wife and my, and my son do a very good job at keeping, um, younger people involved, uh, just engaging them in the sport. Um, they do a lot of um, work with the youth programs, and, and they have a program where they uh, teach young people that want to get involved in the sport, uh, get involved in ball drilling and fitting and, and learning how to coach and, and all the things. They have programs that they personally do to, to help assure them. But I think the most important thing is is – Find people that have a passion for wanting to just make uh, people enjoy the sport more. I, I think we as an industry, and I guess, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more when we talk about the other parts of it, I think it's, it, we as an industry spend an awful lot of time focusing on the 5% and, and not quite enough time, in my opinion, focusing on the 95%. We, we, we do a lot of focusing on people that, you know, that want to be at the professional level. We, we, you see a lot of things on Facebook and all kinds of social media, all kinds of message boards, and, and it's always about, you know, sport bowling and, and is it good, is it bad, this condition, that condition. And, I, I, and, and that's the loud minority, in my opinion, and, and I think we focus a little bit too much on that. And so their philosophy uh, the way they operate their pro shops is they're just trying to teach people how to enjoy the sport more at whatever level they choose to be involved in. And I, th- I think if we do that as an industry, uh, our focus needs to be on people that have been in the sport for less than five years. Um, you know, the, the people that have been in the sport, the, the Jeff Riggles and the Mike Shadies and the Chuck Gardners, you're not going to run us out with a stick. You're not going to get rid of us, no matter what you do to hurt the sport or whatever you do to help the sport. We're not leaving the sport. We're, we're committed. And those people that bowl every weekend in tournaments and things like that, so many things are geared to them, and you just, you're not getting rid of those guys. They're, they're lifers. And... Uh, so I think that's really what I've tried to instill in them with the pro shops, and 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 I think they've done a really uh, an amazing job. Uh, they, they grow every year. Uh, the shop 
continues to do better. The shops continue to do better each year. And uh, I think it's because of their focus on on trying to just help people enjoy the sport more at whatever level they're at. And if they want to get better, uh, they offer instruction. They do all kinds of different things. And, and I think people just gravitate to that kind of atmosphere and and want to be a part of it. So, Mike, Chuck brought up one of the very good points of coaching. A lot has talked about us, and we're trying to improve, like Chuck said, you can't run us away with a stick. But talk about what can be done for that entry-level bowler to help them from, from the local center's perspective to keep them enjoying the sport and having fun. Well, I, I think, Tim, the first thing you got to do is you got to have you got to have a – a quality person in each center that that can do some of the things Chuck just talked about. Um, you know, one of the one of the things I've really got involved with the last two years because of my children who are eight and ten years old is is I coach all their sports and others and, and uh, baseball and softball and basketball and their model is much different than than bowling. Um, it's uh, it's more team oriented, but there's an individual aspect as well, uh, and it's. Uh, it's all about development. It's all about technique, and there's there's a just a tremendous amount of volunteers who want to get involved uh, because their children are involved. And then there's a game day. So uh, during a week, you got one or two practices, and they're developing, developing, and then the kids get a chance to compete. We don't have that model. Uh, we we have junior leagues, youth leagues. Uh, the kids go to go to the league, and and I'm as guilty as any other coach uh, because of my my schedule, I don't have the time that I don't get a chance to go and develop lots of different kids. You know, I've only got a select few because of my time. But a lot of these these youth programs are the parents drop them off, the guardians drop them off, and that's as far as it goes. So we have a different model than some of these other sports. I'm from a small community outside of Erie. Uh, in basketball this year, we had 640 kids go out for the sport. And it's a, it's a 12-week uh, season. Uh, Bowling just don't get those numbers, and it's it, again, it's a different model. I'd like to see uh, the coaches who are who are qualified, who have passion for the sport, who who want to educate, who are people oriented, uh, going to these kids and and uh, develop, uh, work with their parents, and almost use the same model, uh, develop the kids in the proper technique, and then on Saturdays or some part of the week, you have a have a competition have teams developed uh, and do, do some Baker system so it's quick and, and uh, the kids are competing against one another. I think through development, through motivating, and then some type of competitive aspect on top of that, uh, I think we can develop some of these youth players. Um, the same goes for the recreational bowler that Chuck was talking about. We focus on the 5%, forget about the 95%. If we can get that 95%, and get good people in our pro shops, good people in our bowling centers, and uh, start giving them some of the tools. You know, the recreational bowler can now possibly get into a short season league, you know, eight to uh, twelve week, uh, week season, and continue to evolve, continue to grow. And I think that's our only chance to take this sport and start growing it again. I would agree with both of those guys, and, and I think. Looking at it from a historical perspective, basically what we're talking about here is health professionals, similar to what golf would have in a sense, it, coaching and pro shop and giving something young people could aspire to be that would be more than quote-unquote drilling balls or working the counter or whatever. You actually are looking to be a professional. I think this goes back to long before the PBA 
leaders of today were running things, but back in the quote-unquote good old days, that was something, boy, if PBA, USBC, and whoever, maybe even BPA could have got together, created a uh, program for uh, aspiring pro bowlers who maybe weren't going to be touring pro successful guys, but wanted to make the game their life like uh, club pros in golf. That that would have been it, and I think that was bowling's one of bowling's biggest missed opportunities historically. I know food for thought here, guys, is Brian Smith co-owns a center up in Roseburg, uh, Oregon, and he told me he lets his high school players on his two teams practice. They can come in and practice any time. As long as they have lanes open, he, they can come in and practice. But he says if they see someone who needs help or needs looks look like a little bit of a, a lift up, they're, they're almost required to go over and, and kind of help them out with some things and try to just do some very basic coaching. But I think that's a good way, too. It gets your youth involved, and it gets some incentive for these high school kids to come in and practice as well. Well, that's a great idea. I love that. That's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, well guys, here's what I'd like to do. We're going to call it a show for right now. We, we're going to come back on the other side. We're going to do uh, part two of the interview. We're going to focus more on some of the USBC, the USBC Open, some more things that we can do and kind of look ahead towards 2014 and beyond as um, – as the sport, like we said, we need to focus on the 95% as opposed to the 5% that we are. So with all that, we're going to be, uh, be back next week. Uh, this is Tim Berg wishing you good luck and good bowling.